the reading today, our scripture reading today is from Revelation 22, and you can find this in your pew Bibles on page 1133. We'll be reading verses 12 through 14, 16 through 17, and 20 through 21. Let us begin with prayer, please. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, May the Spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay everyone according to every, to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let everyone who hears say, come, and let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. The word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 985. Jesus prayed these words. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the, word may know, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name, name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so the, the first Bible I actually remember owning had the words of, that Jesus spoke in red. My, gr my grandmother gave it to me. 
I don't know if you've ever had one of those or ever seen one of those, but if you had one today and you opened it up, the entire chapter 17 of John's gospel would be read. It's one long read prayer prayed by Jesus. Now there is a small little part at the beginning that's in black type of chapter 17. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. And then he begins his prayer, which can be divided up into three sections. Verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. In verses 6 through 19, he prays for the disciples. And in the verse that I just read today, verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for future believers. That is, you and me. And that's the part we will focus on today. Jesus' Jesus's prayer for us. Now, have you ever had someone pray for you? I mean, specifically pray for you about a situation you were in and right there in your presence. I sure hope you have. What did it feel like? What went through your mind? Did you feel loved? Did you feel honored and respected? Did you feel hopeful? It doesn't take me long to recall several of those really important times that it happened to me. I remember my first pastoral care visit after being called to First Presbyterian Church in Moorhead City. A longtime member of the church, a lay leader, a past elder, and past clerk of session was in hospice care. He had made every visitor promise that when the new pastor got to town, that they would make sure that he came by for a visit. So on the afternoon of my very first day at the church, I drove over to the care facility where he lived, and I found Mr. Harvell in his room. He was on oxygen, and it made it difficult for him to speak. I quickly introduced myself to him and began to tell him my story, but it really didn't take me long before I began to realize that he was tiring rather quickly. So I wrapped things up and I asked if I could pray for him. He was propped up in a chair with a table in front of him and I reached across that table and I grabbed a hold of his hands and I prayed for him. I prayed the most earnest prayer that I could muster that day. As I started to wind up my prayer and and close it up and I began to pull my hands away from him, that's when I noticed the really vice-like grip that he had on my hands. I was going nowhere until he was done with me. So in that awkward silence for a moment, then he began to pray for me. He prayed for my family and he prayed for my ministry. What a saint. Fourteen years later, I still remember the love that I felt in that very sterile room. A true saint of the church had shown me his love and had shown me the love that God had for me in my ministry. I'll never forget those heartfelt prayers. I'll never forget my ordination when the elders of the church came forward to lay their hands on me and pray for me. One of those elders was my mom. I felt her prayers that day. And honestly, I couldn't stand here before you today if it weren't for those prayers. I still feel them. 
There's just something about prayer for others or being prayed for. I think it's one of the true personal kind of divine connections we have in life. And I think as human beings, it's something we truly need in our life. Just as the disciples knowing that Jesus was on his knees praying for them must have been a powerful moment. Especially in knowing what lied ahead for them. The coming days of Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, brutal beating, death, and resurrection. This band of 12 with him hearing his heartfelt prayers for them in their future ministry must have given them the confidence that they would need to proclaim Jesus as Lord after the resurrection. As they stood in that upper room looking at the scars on his hands and his feet. Jesus' prayer should give us that same confidence that Christ prayed for us in all of our broken, sinful nature, just as he did for the disciples. This prayer is being prayed in the face of betrayal. Even as Jesus prayed for them, he knew he would be betrayed by one of them and that the other disciples would scatter to the hills, denying even that they knew him. Yet knowing all this, he prayed for them. His prayer is a prayer of urgency. We have had those before, haven't we? Those moments in life when we're in a tight spot and we rattle off a quick prayer to God. Christ's prayer for us is urgent, but it is filled with love. What can we glean from this prayer? Well, I think there are several things that really spoke to me. Two important things I found in this prayer were one that Christ prayed us to have unity. Unity or oneness in God, oneness in Christ as it can be called, and love. So let's take a deeper look at at this passage and see where we see those things. Verse 21 says that they, the future disciples, you and me, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The Greek word here that we translate to mean one is haste. And it it does mean one, but it's a much broader meaning than that. It means an agreement, an agreement of a group of people on a subject or idea, unity. But we don't want to confuse unity or oneness in Christ with uniformity. Unity, or as it's sometimes referred to in the Bible as oneness of heart, oneness of spirit, that's unity. Uniformity is everybody alike, like a uniform. I don't think Christ was praying for uniformity. Unity comes from the inside. It is a natural response. It's a spiritual response. Uniformity comes from the outside. It is something socially that is placed upon us. Now, while we may belong to different neighborhoods, we may root for different sports teams or political parties or denominations or nations, and honestly, the list of ways which we attempt to divide ourselves is almost endless, but we are one. We are one in the true church, one in the body of Christ. 
look at Jesus' own network of disciples. Jesus' witness to his own church, his own band of followers who prayed together and worshiped together in unity. Unity and oneness of Christ. But they expressed it and showed that in many different talents and gifts. Just as we here at Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church bring the many talents and gifts of a diverse community to worship and glorify God. But if we still don't understand, Jesus even gives us an example. The oneness of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. We can see a oneness in this community of the triune God, and this is the community Jesus' prayer points us to as an example. Even though his own community of followers around him is shaky at best, Jesus believes in and prays for unity in his disciples and in us. Why? Because it is the unity, it is our unity together that will lead the world to believe in God. So we can disagree about presidential candidates whether it's okay or not to wear white pants after Labor Day, or what type of hymn we should sing. But as long as we keep these discussions in the parameters of a relationship built on unity in Christ, not uniformity, we are living into that urgent prayer that Jesus prayed for us. And the element that holds all this together is love. Five times in the six verses I read today, Jesus uses the word love. Jesus names love as the key descriptive word for the divine relationship of the Trinity. Love is the divine gift to the disciples. And it is love that God will use as the magnet grace to attract the world. To see this holy love in action, we only have to look back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus makes clear with absolute certainty that those who love the Lord and believe in him are saved and have eternal life. That the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son for the Father is the same love that we have to share with one another. It is the expression of that love in our daily lives that will draw others closer to Christ. Our own ability to love with urgency is what Jesus calls us to do. After Jesus' resurrection, he met Mary Magdalene outside the tomb and he tells her, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. My Father and your Father, my God and your God. In the resurrected life, the relationship that the Son and the Father have always shared now extends to those whom Jesus prayed for before his death. So the unity that Jesus prays for is founded in love, the kind of self-giving love that is shown to us in the life of Jesus, how he loved others, how he cared for others. Christ's new commandment in John 13, 34 tells us that you love one another just as I have loved you. This commanded love is to draw us closer together in unity of love for Christ and for one another. I think Jesus knows us well enough to know we will have disagreements. 
we will squabble over tablecloths, whether we should use disposable cups or ceramic washable cups in the fellowship hall. We will argue over what type of candles to use and maybe how many candles we should use and what color they should be. But I don't think he's praying for a community of robots who totally agree on every detail and walk in lockstep with no brain of their own. What I hear Jesus praying for is a deeper unity that transcends the differences that we too often view as obstacles rather than opportunities. Jesus wants each member of his church to feel they have a place and not just a place to worship on Sunday morning, but a place that is essential to the ministry of the church, his church, his body here on earth. Jesus' prayer is for a unity that does not have to be imposed by a ruler or strict regulations, but one that already exists among the followers of Jesus, a need to love one another urgently. Jesus calls us to unity and love, not as some standalone virtue, but a unity for the sake of the world. As it says in verse 23, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In closing, I'd like to reflect upon a reading I had this week from Henry Nouwen, a Catholic priest, professor, and writer, and theologian. Nouwen was describing a mosaic, a picture much like I showed you and the children earlier today. Nouwen said, a mosaic consists of thousands of little pieces. Some are blue, some are green, some are yellow, some are gold. When we bring our faces close to the mosaic, we can admire the beauty of each piece. But as we step back from it, we can see that all those little pieces reveal to us a beautiful picture, telling a story none of the pieces can tell by itself. That is what our life in community is about. Each of us is like a little piece of that mosaic. Put together, we reveal the face of God to the world. None of us can say that I make God visible, but others who see us together in unity and love can say they make God visible. Looking inside the church is supposed to give people the idea of what God's love for God's children looks like. This is why Jesus, Jesus urgently prays for us to be one in him, one in his perfect love. Not one so that we can wipe away our differences, but one so that we see God's love is big enough to encompass all of our differences so the world may come to know that same love through our love for one another. That is the story that our picture can tell as we continue to love with urgency. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.